Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. This is just addressing individuals who they've chosen all these things over Jesus, okay? Idol worshipers. Again, you're choosing to worship something other than Jesus. Liars. All liars. Don't you know where liars go? Right? Haven't you, have you heard that before? Has somebody told you that when you lied to them? You're like, hey, you know where liars go, right? I'm like, yeah, heaven if they're saved, okay? So that's where they go. They go to hell if they're not saved, okay? It's simple. It's simple mathematics here. Life is full of choices. Which restaurant to go to? Which college to attend? Who should I marry? But as Pastor James shares today, there's really only one important choice that you'll ever make in your life. And it's a choice that's going to affect the rest of your life here on earth and your eternity. You can choose Jesus, or you can choose something else. God is gracious to allow you that choice. He's not going to force you to pick Jesus, and there's plenty of other options all around. So be sure you make the right choice. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation chapter 21 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. aside every sin that hinders you. Just let it go. Let it go. And run this race. And you run into a new heaven and a new earth, free, free of all the stuff. It's not going to be present there. That's the beautiful thing about a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. No more sin. Sin is gone. It's gone. No more. Won't even pop up. It'll be a thing of the past. In fact, it probably will be something that is just never remembered anymore. How incredible is that? Number one, you have no enemy whispering in your ear of like, hey, you think you're a good person, don't you? You remember what you just did. You remember what you just said. Remember all that stuff you used to do? He's gone. He's gone. And all those things, if you don't know it, they're already gone. They're already gone. It's incredible that the Lord gives us little hints and little sneak previews of a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and a new earth here today, here today. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you understand that sin, past, present, and future is wiped away, gone. It's gone. doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Each and every one of us, we're still going to sin. But the reality is the blood of Christ covers all sins. And in fact, it's not just, it doesn't just cover them, it washes them clean as if it wasn't even there. It's like the best laundry detergent ever when you stain your clothes. I don't care how much stain treatment you put on there, sometimes there's always a faint reminder of what happened. You can wash it and wash it and wash it and wash it and all that good stuff. But the blood of Jesus is like the perfect sin stain remover ever. A little dab will do you, right? And it just covers all of it. And it's just like, what comes out is, well, that's a brand new garment. Yeah, absolutely. That's you. That's you. You're the brand new garment. He's made you new. You got new heaven, new earth, new creations going into a new heaven and a new earth. It's amazing. It's incredible. 
He says, I'm making all things new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. There you go. Just bank on it. He's talking to John. He's like, hey, John, record it. Record it. I said it. It's going to happen. It's as good as gold. It's going to happen. Write it down and then share it with as many people as possible, which is an incredible thing because the Bible, if people just read it, um, it's the best-selling book ever. Literally, it's the best-selling book ever. No other book has even come close to how well, year in and year out, the Bible sells. Unfortunately, I just don't think a lot of people are reading it, it seems like. But we got to read it because within this book, you have statements like this where Jesus says, write it down. I said it. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. Then he says this, it is finished. Wait, we've heard that before, haven't we? You read through the Gospels, a statement that was proclaimed from Jesus on the cross in the work of redemption. It is finished. Now this grand plan is, I mean, everything is done. It is finished. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And technically, he just defined those terms for us. He's the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give the springs of water of life without charge for free. Let me read to you from John chapter 4, this beautiful little cross-reference here. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 here. Let's see. Jesus replied, uh, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water, verse 14. But the water I give takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, that's obviously Jesus speaking to the woman at the well when he says, hey, give me some water. And uh, he's like, hey, I got some water if you want. And he's like, yeah, you drink it. You'll never thirst again. She's like, I'll take some of that water. Why did she want that water? Because then it meant she never had to come back to the well. She never had to deal with humiliation again. She didn't have to deal with shame anymore because she's a woman who's been married multiple times now, and she's got a live-in boyfriend and all that good stuff. And she goes to the well when all the other ladies are gone. Because why? Because they're going to mock and ridicule her. That's why she's going at the worst time of the day. And that's why Jesus met her there. And he says, look, I have some water. That'll satisfy what you're trying to satisfy in your life. She says, I'll take it. He's like, well, it's me. It's me. He makes this great invitation here in the book of Revelation chapter 21. He's like, to all who are thirsty, I will give the springs of water of, of life without charge. Like, this is incredible. This is in the new heaven and new earth. Like, you're thirsty? You'll never, you'll never be thirsty in one sense. There with Jesus it just absolutely incredible. Verse 7 says, all who are victorious will inherit these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. OK, so those who are victorious. And we covered this through the letters to the churches. And he says, listen, whoever overcomes, overcomes. That's the word, OK? Victorious, those who are victorious. And he's talking about that. And he's talking about believers, saying, stand fast, stay focused, run your race run your race. You may cross that finish line and feel like an absolute failure, but you're not. You finished. You crossed the line. You did it. You crossed that finish line. Stay determined. Stay purposeful in all that you do in your serving of Jesus. Stay focused. There's plenty of things on this world right now to get us distracted, to get us discouraged, and all that stuff. And we don't ignore those things. We address those things through, through our prayer life. 
and through our conversation with God. But we as believers stay focused because we are on a mission. We're on a mission. He's got some things waiting for you. He's got some stuff waiting for you. Inherit all these blessings. There's probably so much included just within that little phrase there um, that we would just be completely ignorant to. But it should intrigue us enough to be like, you know what? I'm just going to stay focused on Jesus, and I'm going to run this race. Be a disciple. Disciple just simply means a student who sits at the feet of his teacher. So you sit at the feet of Jesus. You take in what he has for you, and then you put into practice what he tells you to do. That's running the race. That's running the race, Okay. There's another group, though, that this does not apply to, these blessings. Verse 8, but cowards who turn away from me, and unbelievers, and the corrupt, and the murderers, and the immoral, and those who practice uh, witchcraft, and idol worshipers, and all liars, their doom is in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. So just one last little heads up. We already covered this, all right, what happens to... But this is speaking of those who have completely, just utterly rejected Jesus, being a coward. It's not talking about like naturally timid people, okay? What it is talking about is people who will just turn away from Jesus and turn towards anything when it kind of comes down to it. That's what he's addressing there. When it comes down to it and the pressure's on, they're like, uh, Jesus or the, I'm going to choose this. That's the coward's way out, basically, is what it's saying. Cowards, unbelievers, of course, corrupt, murderers, immoral, practice witchcraft, uh, sorcery type stuff is in there. Witchcraft, um, just so we have a good understanding, most of the time within the New Testament, witchcraft, it's really speaking a lot of like um, drug use, okay? Just so we know, okay? Um, The word that's connected to that one, um, it has a lot to do with like uh, pharmacia, um, you know, drug abuse, that type of stuff. Um, this is just addressing individuals who they've chosen all these things over Jesus, okay? Idol worshipers. Again, you're choosing to worship something other than Jesus. Liars. All liars. Don't you know where liars go? Right? Have you, have you heard that before? Has somebody told you that when you lied to them? You're like, hey, you know where liars go, right? I'm like, yeah, heaven if they're saved, okay? So that's where they go. They go to hell if they're not saved, okay? It's simple. It's simple mathematics here. Lake of fire, all liars. What it's talking about there is deceitful people. They're out deceiving individuals constantly. It's like it's what they do. It's who they are. They love it. They revel in it, deceiving people, leading people astray. This always has been a problem on this planet. And the more we grow in technology, the more we understand that this is a really big problem because there's not a lot of people uh, distributing truth. There's a lot of people out there distributing lies. With lies, there's always manipulation. It's always connected. It's always connected. If I can convey something that's maybe even a half-true, a half-true is a whole lie, okay? That's simple mathematics, too. A half-true is a whole lie, all right? But if I can drop these things here and there, I can manipulate people into going this direction. Time and time again, we've seen it. Governments have thrived off of this. 
They've thrived off of this. If we take, you know, just these messages of fear and communicate fear, fear, fear to people, it only takes about two months to where people will buy into that. And even if truth comes out, they will not receive it. It only takes about two months of continual lies, continual messages of deceit before it just takes over somebody's brain. That's scary stuff. But good news. For those who that's like their life ambition, there's a special place for them. If they don't receive Jesus, there's a special fate for them. And their fate is fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So there is this distinction that not everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody experiences a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, this isn't anything new, but certainly more and more, you know, recently, uh, the notion has been um, within churches that to communicate this, like, all-inclusive, not in the sense of, like, you know, um, anybody can come to Jesus. That's right. Um, absolutely. But you've got to come to Jesus. But not everybody's going to heaven. And that's been communicated from pulpits. And it's growing. And it kind of is increasing. Because to say this is a negative message. And nobody wants to hear that there's a chance that people could die and go to hell. So we don't want to talk about that. So we want to talk about, well, I think there's ways where if we can redefine some of these terms and We'll go back in and change up the context a little bit and kind of make it suit more of our modern times. Then we can erase hell and just make it so that, well, basically everybody gets to go to heaven. That's a lie. It's a lie. There's also another lie that, especially within the past century, that was kind of, um, you know, thrown out there to society as a whole that. Well, good people, yes, will go to heaven, and bad people, quote unquote, those who reject Jesus or whatever, they don't go to hell. They just get annihilated. They cease to exist. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's not true. And the Jehovah's Witnesses, that's one of their core doctrines, is the annihilation thought, which it's not true. But we come up with these things because this is a hard pill to swallow. This lake of fire thing, this eternal damnation thing, we've addressed this. We've talked about this. Um, there is a cup of wrath, and Jesus has already offered and has drank from that cup of wrath because we're all sinners. We are all sinners. Jesus never sinned, but he came to this planet, lived a sinless, perfect life, and said, I'm going to take that cup of wrath, and I'm going to drink it for you. We all say, that's sweet, man. That's the best deal ever. And it is. But some people were like, listen, that sounds good and everything, but I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. And so essentially what's being communicated there is like, okay, well, then you drink from the cup of wrath then. And that's why you get the tribulation. That's why you get those difficult times. How long does it take for somebody to atone for their own sins? You can't do it. So if you don't want to take Jesus's atonement, well, okay, forever in a lake of fire is what you settle for. It's what we settle for. By rejecting him and his forgiveness of our sins, sin has to be dealt with. It has to be addressed because God is a holy God, and he is a loving God. And he says, okay, listen, if you don't want to take my free payment for your sins, then I'll let you take it upon yourself, and it's going to take you forever and ever and ever, and you'll never 
atone for it. That's why you can't throw away this hell doctrine. Even if it's not that popular, we cannot do away with this. Because if we do that, then we are basically taking away God's love. You're like, hell doesn't sound like a loving thing. No, hell is a loving thing. Ultimately, that communicates that God has given us a choice. And he's like, look, I'm not going to force you to follow me. I'm not going to force you into a relationship with me. You have the choice. And it's this or that. And so we just think it's like, well, I'll just you know, go off of that decision based on how I live my life. And I think I'm a pretty good person. That's cool. That's fine. That's fantastic. Well, you won't go to heaven unless without Jesus anyways. But so you're a good person. But what about people who are not good people? What about ones like Adolf Hitler, who's okay with murdering millions of Jews? Do you think that it's unloving for God to send somebody like that to the lake of fire? Well, no, I mean, of course not. That guy deserves to go. Well, he's a sinner just like you and I. He rejected Jesus. And that's ultimately what's going on here is the Lord's like, look, you follow me. I'll drink from the cup. You spend forever with me. You reject me. Okay, then the cup is yours to drink from forever. And that's kind of how it boils down to because he is loving and he is just. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. Um, I think even more so nowadays. I think probably like, I don't know, maybe 50 or so years ago is probably a lot simpler, it seems like, right? Like, oh, yeah, of course, heaven and hell. Duh. Nowadays, it's kind of like heaven, hell. Well, we don't really want to talk about that. Not so much. We don't even want to sing songs about the blood of Jesus anymore. Why? Because it's offensive. Makes us feel bad. Really. Um, I desperately need to be reminded of the blood of Jesus and how it was shed for me. So these are all good reminders. This is like one last little reminder that the Holy Spirit, obviously, communicating to John to, to include here, of like, listen, listen. I don't want you to miss out on this because what we're talking about is really sweet. It's amazing. And the descriptions are going to be real, super crazy. You don't want to miss this. But people will miss it. They'll miss it. It's that road trip you're on. And you're, the road signs are getting you know, more and more frequent as the closer you get to the destination. And this is like the last one. This is your last chance kind of a deal. At this point in time, it's all said and done. We know chronologically. But for us, the readers who haven't experienced the tribulation yet and all that good stuff, this is like that one last little thing from the Bible saying, look, look, not everybody makes it. Not everybody makes it. But here's what you make it to. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, here's what you enter into. Goes on to say, one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the last plagues came and said to me, come with me. I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in spirit to a great high mountain. All right, so there's one thought of, you know, maybe mountains in new heaven and new earth, okay? And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It was filled with the glory of God, the Shekinah. That's technically what that's talking about, the Shekinah glory of God, okay? Um, filled with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious gem, crystal clear like jasper. Its walls were broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the name of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. 
There were three gates on each side, so four sides there, okay? East, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So here's John on this high mountain. He's just looking at this thing. He's like, what in the world? What's so crazy about that is he sees his own name written on this foundation. Like, I probably wouldn't have been able to write anything else. I'd be like, oh, hold on. <laughs> well, hold on. I need some time to process, because that's my name. That's my name. Lord, are you sure you want to write that name on there? Like, are you sure? Because I don't think it belongs there. That's how I would feel about that. And I'm sure that's how John would relate too. But he's watching this, and this thing is descending to this planet. And he uses these um, gems that we've already kind of gone through in Revelation. Remember from back in uh, chapter 3, but we already addressed some of these gems. But this is building material for heaven. The things that we value so greatly, God's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I build my city with. That's like drywall for me, right? Those are two by fours and golds for paving streets. And there's, yeah, and, and he's got, you make your gates out of pearl, out of a pearl, which is considered to be the most precious stone of all, because you cannot improve upon a pearl. You can't. You know, you go down there, you pry it from that little oyster that's worked so hard on that thing, you cannot improve upon what it's created. You can't. That's why people, and especially back in the day, they consider that the most precious stone, quote unquote, that nature could produce. God's like, yeah, I'll make my gates out of it. Like, how big are these pearls, right? Number one, because these are really big gates, okay? They have to be because these are gigantic walls, he makes his gates out of those. You can mean it's just like crystal clear. It's like jasper. Its walls are broad and high. We're going to get into the dimensions of this. Um, but this kind of giving you a good idea of like what's to come. It says the angel, verse 15, talked to me and held in his hand a gold uh, measuring stick, okay, to measure the city, its gates and its wall. Then he measured it and he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, it was in the form of a cube. Still, some people think it could possibly be a pyramid, right? But most individuals believe it's, it's just a gigantic cube. For its length and its width and its height were, uh, New Living Translation says 1,400 miles, OK? Now, there's some that would say 1,500 miles, and some would say 1,365, OK? Here's the point. It's really big. <laughs> it's really big. That's huge. That is gigantic. That's from Maine to Florida. It's one side of it. From Florida to the Mississippi River, from the Mississippi River back to the Atlantic Ocean. Like, this is gigantic. And it goes up an eighth of the distance from this planet to the moon. That's how big it is. It's gigantic. This is a city. This is the new city of Jerusalem. This is where the, we believe, like, your dwelling place will be, your apartment in new heaven and new earth, it can be found in a new Jerusalem. Some guy did some facts and, you know, all this good stuff. Like Henry Morris, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who said that there may not be animals in the new heaven and new earth, which, listen, he's a brilliant man, was a brilliant man, absolutely, incredibly brilliant. He did some guessing. This is what I found in a commentary. He says, um, there will have been 100 billion people on this planet, okay, uh, throughout history. Okay, from start to finish, 100 billion people. That's an estimate, right? And he goes off to say that, let's say 20% of that gets saved. 20% of 100 billion, all right? Um, 
He says that each person in this new Jerusalem would have a block, quote unquote, of about 75 acres to call your own. Revelation isn't just a dream that John made up to entertain or scare people. But yet, I wonder what we feel about the last book of the Bible. John's vision of what he saw in the heavens offers many details and signs about what we can expect to come in the future. I take comfort in these words found in Revelation 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Oh, what a glorious day that is going to be. Are you ready, friends, for Jesus to return? If you have questions regarding today's message, would you let us know by visiting breadforthebroken.com and submitting your question through email? We look forward to answering your questions and praying for you as well. There's loads of messages from Pastor James Grizzle to be found, so don't navigate away from breadforthebroken.com until you've perused them at your leisure. They're to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, to encourage and uplift you as you navigate the storms that life throws at you, because we know how rough life gets sometimes. Are you looking for a church to call home, one that's genuine, simple, and uncomplicated? Well, guess what? You found it here with us at Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m., you can find us studying God's Word together. So, would you make some plans to come join us? We sure hope so. We trust that you've been blessed by this edition of Bread for the Broken. See you next time. Let me paint the picture of you, man.